Hello friends, this is John Klein III with episode 111 of Shadow and Flame of Magic, the podcast. And today we're going to review Excalibur, the Sword is Drawn, otherwise known as Excalibur Special Edition number one. So let's get to it. Burr, 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 burr. Burr, burr, and so on February 14, 2023, nope, 2024, uh, we lost uh, legendary inker Paul Neary who uh, was a very famous uh, British artist and editor of um, Marvel UK. And he kicked off Excalibur um, with a one-shot that I bought issue one, read a bunch, and then I remember reading other articles or issues about you know Excalibur starting this way and that way. I was like, that's not the first issue of Excalibur. And it finally dawned on me I was missing an issue. And and maybe I thought Special Edition meant it was a fancy version of issue one. But no, they started this with a very high quality um, volume. And my copy, I'm pretty sure I bought this from Mile High Comics, is near mint or mint. Uh, first print someone wrote on the poly bag. Gorgeous cover. Um, with the team fighting the Technic and War 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 Wolves, and the sword is drawn. Oh yeah, and it came out in 1987. And I don't see a. Oh yeah, and it is 325 US or 425 cans. Writers: Chris Claremont, penciler: Alan Davis, inker: Paul Neary. With special thanks to Farmer. To Mark Farmer for assistance, which I couldn't tell which pages he did. Letter, legendary Tom Orchorowski. Colorist, equally legendary Glennis Oliver. Editor, Ann Nocenti. Assistant editor, Terry Cavanaugh. Editor-in-chief, Tom DeFago. Created by Chris Claremont and Alan Davis. And the issue opens. Kitty Pride, Toss Turn, Fidget 2 and Foe. Tick Tock, The Clock Time Drags. Lower by the minute. Throw a night that lasts forever. All she wants is sleep. So much, so much to ask. A small slice of obliviation to take the hurt away. But because she hurts, thoughts racing, images replaying, itching themselves, those final awful moments, how she hates them into her mind's eye. She can't. She'd cry if she had any tears left. And this whole comic has like this beautiful painting quality to it, which I can only imagine is... Davis Neary and Oliver just working on all cylinders, like, um, I don't know, it just looks like it was painted and then printed on comic book paper. So it's like, you know, it's a very interesting, pleasing appeal to the eyes. And this has like a nice, like it's clearly dusk and, um, so it's like a very light blue, like hue to it all. Uh, Kitty's room has a computer right in front of her bed, a giant teddy bear, or a plush bunny with a tinier teddy bear. On posters, she has a Hepburn, but it's not Audrey Hepburn. Uh, a once and future king, which is, you know, gonna play into bigger effect, um, later. And so Kitty wakes up. Someone um, is putting powder on her face, asking for autographs, for fans. She is very alarmed. 
She does not know what anything that's happening. They throw her into her blue, um, what I always think of is her Excalibur outfit, but it predates it. It's her outfit she wore post, um, Kitty Pride and Wolverine. Harsh for, harsh words, sour thoughts, rage, a welcome anodyne for grief, all vanishing the instant she thrusts on stage. And then this is a beautiful double page spread, um, where all the X-Men are acting as actors, doing some real actoring. Oh, and I should mention, I mentioned in the previous um, episode, but sadly, Paul Neary passed away. But also, oh God, oh gosh, oh wow, ended its three-year run. So many happy endings. Well, I guess no new beginnings, but, you know, just two endings. Uh, Kitty's there. She's, um, Colossus is smoking a cigar, playing some cards with some crew. Rogue is, um, sunbathing, um, in a green, like, one piece. Uh, Havoc is in a chair called Understudy, reading his script. Storm's in a gorgeous, like, orange dress with opera gloves. Uh, British Betsy, uh, just in that pink outfit of hers, is just sitting, um, listening to Storm. Uh, people are, Moving around the set, Xavier is the ex-director. Um, there's Longshot and Dazzler just warming up to each other. She has her hand inside his jack his jacket. He's doing a very deep V neck um V neck. And by neck I mean like it goes all the way down to his belt buckle. Someone's doing um Logan's nails as he's reading a book called Japanese Flower Arrangements and it just looks amazing and what a great way for the art team to get an opportunity to just draw the X-Men and Kitty's just confused as like oh yeah because at this point the X-Men are dead due to the events of um Fall of the Mutants <clears throat> and then she's in um Muir Island because of Mutant Massacre so it's just a conclusion of multiple uh, plot points to wonder if she lost her mind, Stanley presents Excalibur. Or perhaps miraculously found the answer to most her most heartfelt prayers. So Kitty says aloud, The X-Men, they're alive. And she thinks, I knew it couldn't be true. It had to be a mistake that they would find a way to beat the Reaper. But what's with the movie studio? Professor Xavier is our teacher, the man who founded the team. Why is he playing director? Psylocke, when did the X-Men decide to go Hollywood? Your eyes. you got no eyes. Which is a great reference to um, Mojo taking her eyes and Spyro using, putting cameras in them. And hence they're on a movie set. So, you know, it's just all these great idea concepts coming together. And her powers are not working. And Rogue's like, come on, man. Like, Nothing works until we're told action. Because like, Kitty falls on Rogue and Rogue's bare skin touches her neck and, you know, no power absorptions happening. And then finally Xavier, Director X is like, action! And then Colossus meddles up, Rogue's flying, Storm's flying, um, Kitty falls backwards and and like phases through a lighting fixture. All of a sudden, everyone's back to normal. And she says aloud, "And look at me! I can phase. This is sick. How could I dream something so cruel? And why can't I break out of it?" 
And this is also during the time where her power, right, she's intangible as her default state, but she's not a ghost anymore, thanks to Dr. Doom or Reed Richards. And then a voice in red high, red high heels says, you forget, dreams are sometimes windows to other realities. And waking doesn't always make things better. As page turn reveal, it's Rachel Summers, everyone, in her all red outfit, the spiky horns. She will let you touch her when she wants it, you to, and she does not ever want you to. Rachel, I don't understand. This has to be a dream, only it feels so real. And the X-Men, more puppets than people, travesties of the heroes I remember. When the reality no longer exists, exploiters can take the legend and make it whatever they want, good or bad. And then Xavier shouts at Rachel, like, get out of here, you're not in this. And then you see all the X-Men like whipping um, chains around Rachel and like pulling at her in all directions. And Kitty's like, stop it, stop it. And then she touches the chains and uh, Rachel is able to phase through everything with a giant phoenix effect. And then we see everyone's mad at Kitty and all of a sudden the werewolves come out of their um, the X-Men's bodies, which is very trauma inducing as you see like beaks pulling out of their faces and stretching their faces so wide warwolves classic excalibur enemies i'm sure they're captain britain enemies but they're they're scary they pretty much are just like big silver common dogs is underplaying how giant they are but i guess they're like great great dane sized dogs and um all silver and they pretty much kill humans and then wear their skins and somehow i guess decrease their sizes to get in them i guess we're not supposed to think about that too much and then they're chasing kitty she wakes up from her nightmare falling on the bed it's like no please don't bite hurt uh bedroom me and then she shouts again, no! And she phases through the room, and she's outside thinking, I'm back on Mirror Isle, where I belong. But if that was a dream, the reality is still the same awful... <gasps> and then she sees the big phoenix um, force in the horizon. And she says aloud, in the sunrise, the phoenix effect. And she thinks to herself... Now, what the heck does that mean? Freaky after an image of a very freaky dream or harbinger or something worse? Rachel disappeared months ago. Haven't even thought of her in ages. Feel pretty lousy about that. Feel lousier about my dream. Am I really so perverso inside as to imagine my dearest friends as slaves? Of one of the team's most disgusting foes and so angry, resentful that they're gone? Or is it because I got left behind? And then this is going to be one of the images I post on um, the podcast uh, socials, which would be S-N-F-W-M, and spelt out on Twitter and Instagram. Then I'll reuse these when I pro- promote the episode tomorrow. Or the day you listen to this. Unless you're super dedicated and you listen to this at <laughs> the midnight hour. Um, but Lockheed's in the room. She's like, hi, Lockheed. And then this whole page, and then these are the only two pages he's in the issue, so this is what we're promoting. And there's still the gorgeous um, blue hue over everything, but you can see Lockheed's um, purple, so it's very nicely colored. And, you know, 
Davis and Neary draw a pitch-perfect Lockheed. Possibly my second favorite Lockheed after Paul Smith. Um, yeah, I think I, I can stand on that. I was about to say, oh, oh, the artist who did the Kitty Pride Shadow and Flame miniseries, but of course, that's Paul Smith, so... Yeah, I think we're good. How's my best dragon? How about a scratch cutums in your favorite spot between your shoulder? Ah, blast and darnation. As she tries to pet him, she phases right through his neck. And he, you see, he looks sad. Probably for one, he's not getting any back scratches. But also, poor kitty. He, she know, he knows how much of a struggle everything is for him. Forgot. I'm not normal anymore, even for an X-Man. My natural state is to be phased, as physically intangible as a ghost. To become solid, I have to concentrate hard as I can. Hooray. But it won't last long. And you see Loki just like, you know, looking at her with like as much empathy as he can. What a mess. Oh, golly, I remember. I fell asleep with these pictures in my arms. Me and Professor Xavier. Oh, yeah. Let's go back to the first page. Oh man, I was gonna say like, of course the pictures are here, but I don't see them. But they could be on the sides of our bed. <clears throat> Me and Professor Xavier, when I first joined the school, and she's wearing that blue blazer that the Pride of the X Men Kitty Pride is sort of wearing, but it looks more like what a thirteen year old wear here instead of a clearly thirty year old from the cartoon and a team shot. And the team is the perfect team. It's, well, minus Colossus. Rogue, Storm, Cyclops, Kurt, Logan, and Rachel. And now she says on her knees crying. Right before everything fell apart, now he's gone. A wave across the universe, probably never to return. And the X-Men, the X-Men are dead. And she's just in a fetal position now. And poor Loki just has his hands on her. Just like in his, I can't imagine his head's on her back. It's like, oh. Now we're going to move a little faster here, but... The Selkick Sea, off the west coast of England. She's been swimming alone when the pod popped up and asked her to play. The dolphin's natural exuberance was too infectious to be denied. And we see Megan, everyone. And she has uh, a sleek water design uh, with some blue skin until she flips into the... um, above the water and then she turns you know her pinkish flesh tone but she still has like a sleek dolphin like head i imagine she knew next to nothing of the sea so they delighted in teaching her its wonders and mysteries she was having so much fun she lost all track of time until and then she's um doing uh what do you call dolphins that breach the surface when they're doing their not flips but dives and she sees the phoenix um, force in the distance. She's like, huh. All right, I better tell Brian about this. And by the time I was reading Excalibur, it was probably like around issue 52 or so. I know I wrote it on the podcast. It's whichever one Spider-Man's on the cover of. Not the podcast. I wrote about it on the blog at shadowandflamewithmagic.com. Um, but... Excalibur showed up in Inspirement 25, the solo title that uh, Tom McFarlane launched, but was off by the time 25 came along. And I was like, who is this team? Because I'm pretty sure maybe the X-Men cartoon was coming out soon, but this was like my first real exposure to the X-Men. 
and it was Excalibur. And I was like, I like this team. And then, you know, Terry Cavanaugh, who wrote that issue, was also the editor of Excalibur. So I'm sure he just had the thought, hey, I wonder if I can have Excalibur show up. He talked to himself with his editor hat on and was like, yeah, buddy, you can use them. Only if you show up in their issue and then on stands, there was Spider-Man in their comic. And then, you know, you buy two issues, one you wouldn't have bought otherwise. And then, boom, guest star appearances do sell comics. As everyone knows, with all the Logan appearances of the 890s and pretty much up to today as well. Oh, so anyway, so by the time I started reading them, Megan and Brian were clearly a great couple. And, you know just dating and making their way towards getting married. No, not at that time. At that time, Brian's about to go into the time stream. But, you know, like they're an established couple, but reading this issue, it's like, oh, that's right. Brian is a horrible boyfriend in this. And poor Megan and her, um, <sighs> Navite. She just, like, she knows she's being mistreated, but she also doesn't know what to do about it, so she just sticks around and say, oh, Megan, you deserve so much better. Her name is Megan, and she is as much a creature of the earth as of man. In olden days, she had been called one of the fairy folk. Actually, though, she's a mutant, and she's looking for Brian. Uh, she sees the room is a wreck. Uh, there's pictures all over the place of Betsy and Brian, who are twins. Uh, as little kids, and then graduating... And then Betsy's um, modeling career taking off. And then her joining the X-Men with a little postcard saying, Psylocke joins the X-Men, big brother. Wish me luck. It's like, oh, Betsy. And then there's the news reports of the X-Men dying, including um, the English mutant known by the code identity, Psylocke. But she does wear a mask. So clearly, if you're in England, you're like, oh, yeah, that's Britain's most beautiful woman, Betsy Braddock. And then she flies lower into the light um, house, which is great symbology of like, yeah. So now he start drinking in the main room. Now he's even further down into his own soul, but physically as well. And Brian's just been crying. He's snapping at her. He's like, go away, Megan. And she throws like whatever, you know, alcohol he's drinking right onto the ground he smashes his mask and poor he's like i don't want your sympathy i only want to be left alone i'm a man and i'm a jerk and megan just leaves and cries and she doesn't know what to say and whatever she says makes it worse and it's just like megan that's not on you uh there's a panel here where she reverts back to her her almost natural state or whatever megan thinks might be or she just feels bad so she makes herself look bad or it's like oh megan and she thinks about Brian and puts on her supermodel face. And poor Megan doesn't know how to write. Um, so she tries to make a sign saying, Lighthouse, Megan, go to this house with a cat next to it. Where I'm like, oh, Megan, you're so such a sweet character. Mirror Isle, the gymnasium, fun and games. And Kirk's just um, swaths buckling against a bunch of robots with a bunch of... Um, gymnasium um, bars around. He's taking the extra step to give all the robots big old floppy hats with feathers sticking out of them. He's like, oh, Kurt, you remain the best. 
And then instinctively, uh, one of the robots tries to poke him with a sword. I guess the word would be stab, right? And Kurt gets stabbed by quick, by maybe by the point of it and instinctively bamfs away. And then he's exhausted after the first bamf. <clears throat> and he's trying to turn off the um, control panel. But instead, someone beats him to it and it's Kitty phasing right through it. Nightcrawler, oh, crumbs. And then all the robots cr like cling to the um to the ground, which just makes me think about Turtle Soup and how Patron Ranger helps them not say cling. Where it's like, oh yeah, because they're not robots. Bless you, Ketchin. You okay, Nightcrawler? Jaw. Thanks for for your timely intervention. Great. Then you mind telling me what the heck you were thinking playing at here? And I love Kitty. She's wearing this great outfit. Uh, it's like a, it's blue jeans, uh, calf length red boots, a nice red, like, shirt, uh, white, uh, I don't know, feathery jacket. And it's just like, man, I really just miss the X-Men just wearing proper clothes when they're not, you know, superheroing. But Kurt is wearing his classic, you know, red and black outfit because he was, you know, in the, gym so he was working out so that makes perfect sense a full board combat exercise with the safety interlocks disconnected so soon after your release from the mariah's hospital are you crazy lucky for you the backup alarm sounded in the house the minute you started i had to learn kitty if i had lost my edge doesn't it matter if in the process you lose your life? What gives, Kurt? You feel left out because the rest of the X-Men got killed and you didn't? And we didn't? You figured on this being the perfect way to catch up to them? And now he's putting on a jacket and you know, he's just like, You have no right to say such things. You have the right to give me a cause. Jaw, I know. I'm sorry. When I awoke from my coma, I was so happy to be alive, dear Ketchin. You cannot imagine. All I remembered was the pain of being wounded. Next thing I knew, I was here in Myers McTaggart's mutant research facility. It was months later. I thought I had a taste of death, but I survived. I beat the Reaper. My time but come, but not today. I wanted to share that joy with those I love. Bess, you and Peter and Logan Aurora with all the X-Men. Oh, he didn't name Rogue. Only I couldn't because they were dead. I know how you feel, Kurt. And then last night I had this dream. I've never had the like. When it was done, I felt ashamed, almost physically ill. I was in a movie studio with twisted, de decadent versions of the X-Men as the cast and Air Professor Xavier, our director. And Rachel was there too. Some kind of prisoner and you helped her escape? Jaw! Only I was left behind. To behold the X-Men's transformation to monsters. The proof, the prof called them werewolves. You also then. Pretty weird, huh? If we both had the same experience, maybe it wasn't really a dream. And it's so cute. So, like, clearly the facility uh, is where the gymnasium is. And then they walk. They have a nice little walk here. Uh, they can only imagine it's in real time. And then they get to this nice cottage where they've been living. Raise a telepath. Maybe she was trying to send us a message. Question is, why now after staying out of touch for so long? And what's it all mean? Probably some new and transcendent disaster. That isn't funny. Shouldn't we do something about it? The pair of us crippled as we are? Just because we've been hurt doesn't mean we stop being X-Men. And they hear knock, knock, knock. 
crumbs the door. And I don't remember Kitty saying crumbs this much, but I guess she's doing it. Duck outside Kurt while I see who it is. She opens the door and Kurt just literally stood behind the door. And it's a gate crasher, everybody. And that little wormy guy. Salutation, small and youthful sentience. I grow weary endlessly repeating my... Oh, yeah, it's... Um, oh, yeah, his name's not Lizard. Everybody's like, Snee, two paraformers present, mother. None others close enough to interfere. He's just hanging on her back. I grow weary of endlessly repeating myself, Lizard. Don't call me mother. Yes, mother. Ugh. You aren't so infernally useful. I am Gatecrasher. Would you please inform the master or mistress of this domicile of my presence? Would you mind taking your hand out of my face? Because I guess Gatecrasher tried to, I don't know, about shaking Kitty's hand, but like, or patting her on the head maybe, but her hand goes right through Kitty's whole body. You terrestrial paraforms come in such stimulating spirited variety and never fails to amaze. Look, Gatecrasher, I hate to disappoint you, but Dr. McCracker, this is her house and her island. She's away right now. If you care to leave a number or address, regrettably, dear girl, time oppresses and delays cannot be countenance. Snee, mother intruder, immediately arriving. And they see Megan come in all happy, like, hello, kitty. And Kurt's like, who? Megan, Captain Burton's girlfriend. <laughs> like, so much is going on here. She certainly knows how to make an entrance. By the way, Kutchin, who's Captain Burton? <laughs> And Megan's like, you, the hippopotamus. Because clearly Gatecrasher is a Captain Britain enemy. You guys know each other? Spectacular. Salutation, Swingling. You appear as formidably lovely as ever. Whatever you're after, you'd better leave Brian alone. Rest assured, I have absolutely no interest in your dear Captain. So why are you here? I need to talk with you, Kitty. It's important. <laughs> And Gatecrasher's just like, actually, darling, I believe she was addressing me. <laughs> it's like, like, you know, it's cute, though, because it's like, yeah, Megan's is in the rooms. Kitty was talking to her, and then she, like, talked to her, like, you know. I don't know, it's a, it's a good visual gag. I, I like it. Like, Excalibur starts off so strong. Like, no wonder. I mean, it's the longest-running comic series I own. Like, I own every issue of it. Oh, 125-plus issues of it. And then uh, Gatecrasher starts a message from Opal Luna Saturnine, who introduces herself. Omniversal Magistrix, responsible for the maintenance of order and reality in the sector of creation. And Kurt's immediately taken by her, and Megan's immediately disgusted by her. The witch, I know, I never understood what Brian saw in her. <laughs> She's like, you can just read, read all the seething into it. And Kitty's like, boy, I can, darn it. He's like, oh, Kitty. You're so great. And the message continues, Gatecrasher's Technic are my duly authorized agents responsible for the apprehension of this threat to reality, more commonly known as Phoenix, who is believed to be en route to Sol 3, the planet Earth. I hereby charge and require that the inhabitants thereof, as a sentient species, offer all appropriate assistance in this endeavor Kitty's like, what's she want with Rachel? Kitty Crusher's like, dear girl, Saturn, I neglected to take us into her confidence. To be honest, once something doesn't 
subject the omniversal magistrates to that sort of examination. Kitty's like, stinking bounty hunter. I don't know you. Oh, yeah, and she says horrible comments about her weight. Where it's like, come on, Kit Crasher's awesome. Oh, yeah, and she doesn't understand if uh, if those are insults. And the lizard's like, insults, y'all. And so then they start to trying to fight, and then all the technics show up. And because it's a Chris Claremont book, they all get named, which is nice. And but now we got to turn the page to get them named. Because I don't know. I know there's Feral. I know there's Thug. Uh, I know. I just read this this like a couple hours ago. Uh, the Boy Joy, right? The lady who touches you and makes you just like. Start buzzing. The big orange guy, the big old red eyes. The green guy that sucks you into, like, slurps you up and then puts you in little eggs in his back. So I see who the comic names. Oh, yeah. Scatterbrain, which makes you feel ecstasy. And then Megan, um, oh, yeah, and before the big green guy. Um, slurps you up. He puts his little transparent membrane around you that turns off your powers and then puts you in like a little stasis. So he slurps up Megan and then Kurt is just overwhelmed by everyone else. And he tries to bamf. Oh, no, no, no. He does bamf away. And then we see on uh, this. Oh, Body Bag. Of course, Body Bag. What a great name for that character. And he serves up Kitty. And then we follow with Rachel, who was clearly in that movie studio. Rachel Summers, falling, cast out, fleeing from heaven, Hades, never sure which. All the same to her, screaming, cheering, crying, with joy and terror combined. And as all the component elements of her being are shattered, spread beyond reality, beyond conception, to the farthest reaches of creation... Where space has no meaning and the time even less. For the infinite moment she is all. A moment later, sort of nothing as transference gives way to reality. And then she's in some type of, um, I was about to say, mortal world situation. But it's more of an Alice in Wonderland um, theme. Which Arcade will have early in Excalibur's run. Like I want to say it's like issues... Three and four, right? And then they do Inferno? Or is it after Inferno and Courtney Ross dies then? Future spoilers. And Rachel is back to being chained down. And she's trying to escape this madness. Uh, one of the characters is dressed as Thor. And now they're all pulling at her. Uh, and she's trying to escape. But instead of Kitty saving her, this time the werewolves have shown up to... I'm sorry, war wolves show up and start taking all these um, manners of people. And then Rachel's freed and they're chasing her. And then one of them scratches her back. Um, and this is pre-giant phoenix tattoo, which I'm not sure she still has. But uh, I imagine... We must have seen her bare back by now in the Krakoan air, and it must have been gone by now. And then she um, backhands a werewolf, a war wolf, uh, through a wall, and then she notices 
the way out. She goes through it. She thinks she's just still in Mojo World, but actually she's in London because you, you see the big old Ben or just big Ben. And coming soon, National Lampoon's Animal House. So that puts in the time of it. And now I'm trying to think. Did Rachel ever get her vengeance on Mojo or Spiral? I feel like they never come across each other anymore. And now this is daytime, so everything's brightly lit. And Rachel's on the run trying to get to um, the subway. Or the... Imagine British call it a subway, right? Then she jumps on a train. It goes through. I said subway and this train. So they're not interchangeable. It's a subway. And then he's trying to get to her. She just blasts on the back end of it. Possibly a caboose. But I don't think they call the last train and car in a subway a caboose. But maybe. I'm getting all my train terminology and then she's just um, going by. She senses all the passengers on the subway car uh, freaking out about her. They're, and she says, I better get off of here. And then the werewolf that she um, blasted away did die. And all the other werewolves catch up and start howling. And the technic rec uh, hear the howling and um, just take note of it. Meanwhile, back at a certain lighthouse, and we see uh, Nightcrawler has finally made it to the lighthouse because he's aware of... I don't really know how he knows where Britain, uh, Captain Britain was, but he, he took him all day to get there, and he grabs Captain Britain's uh, passed out body and just tosses him into the water, which is freezing, and then Brian like, splashes out of it, all ready for a fight. Nightcrawler is wearing this nice, handsome brown sweater, matching brown cap. And he's like, I don't have time for to apologize for you, nor have you earned an apology. Over coffee, Nightcrawler relates today's events. And so it took him all day, but he finally got back. Brian uh, doesn't see the point. What's the point of rescuing Megan or his friend Kitty? Like, you're just going to die in the end anyways. They're no heroes. And Kurt's like, well, I'm not a hero either. I never call myself a hero. That's for other people to say. And, like, he literally lifts Brian up by his shirt and, like, tosses him against a wall because of how um, durable Brian is. Like, the wall behind him is cracked. He's like, it isn't fair. They're dead. It's far worse that I remain alive to grieve for them because it's more pain than I can endure. But I am alive, Braddock. I will, must remain true to myself as to their memory. If that is more than you can handle, Captain Britain, I am sorry to have troubled you. And Brian still doesn't want to leave. And so Kurt's just like, no, perhaps not. But do you, Air Braddock, have even the slightest to do what it's like to truly live? And Brian's like, wait! Memories, lying broken and bloody, more ragdoll than man. Watching the executioner hands rise, the gun flash, so afraid. And then waking up, reborn, whole. Oh yeah, because this, uh, Brian has died before, and then came back pretty much um, hollow. But never healed, knowing death must come again. Haunted by the certainty that this was, this time will truly be the end. Terrified by the fear that it won't. Because maybe he's like Dazzler, who up until Dead X-Men 1... May have been immortal, moved to beauty to die, but come back mysteriously, miraculously. 
Then Rachel has stolen a brown jacket, or yeah, a leather jacket. She comes across a fantasy store which has the word Excalibur on a picture and a, you know, a model Excalibur in a stone. But I believe the weapon Excalibur is actually from the Lady of the Lake, but it's a often, you know, confused for one or the other. Sword in the Stone, Excalibur, Knights of the Round Table, or maybe it's just a nice stand that the Excalibur's in. Uh, the Once and Future King, Camelot 3000, you know, just all these signifiers that, yeah, they're in Britain. And then she's looking at all the items, and then she sees the Technic faces uh, reflected in the screen. Neurotoxin instantaneously inhibits the Sin Master, so nothing voluntarily works. Breathing's okay, heartbeat too, all the autonomic stuff, but the mind goes fuel blank. The body reduced to a sack of meal to be folded in which way no problem goes down smooth and easy. And Rachel is now in body bags back as well. So he has three big old eggs on his back. And Gate Crusher is like, reach your limit, poor thing. Not to worry. Now that we have our prize, uh, they can leave. And then all of a sudden they get attacked by the war wolves. Which is just fun that, you know, bad guys fighting bad guys. And then we see Kurt is, has been watching from the shadows. And he's like, well, I got here and I saw what was happening. But then I saw the fight. So might as well on the fight. See what happens at the end. But then he realizes he needs to get his friends out of um, body bags back. And so he... Um, Stomps on body bags head, taking him down, and he jumps on top of the eggs, and then a were war wolf slashes all three eggs wide open. Um the ladies pour out. Rachel's the first one to get up on her knees as she was the last one in, so you know she's less effect. So Rachel's trying to sh um shake off the gogginess. Uh, Gatecrusher's about to smash Kurt into the ground when Captain Britain's like, I strongly suggest Gatecrusher that you retrain your, restrain yourself and reconsider this particular operation or you will answer to me. And Gatecrusher throws, um, oh no, no. And then Thug throws a were war wolf into Captain Britain and then he, like, he curses himself for, um, making such a dumb speech or like that. And then, as he's just thrown into a storefront and Thug chases after him to keep, keep punching him. Um, Rachel tries to help out but then gets put into all these rings, which I don't remember this technique, but must be some type of ringmaster person. But as Kitty lunges forward, Joy Boy takes her fondest desire to be solid once more and makes it rude reality as she gains a lot of weight. And but is happy about it. And then uh, the blue snake lady um intercepts a war wolf trying to get to Rachel. And oh yeah, this lady's able to shrink people and I forget what her name is. They don't repeat it here easily to discover Oh yeah, China doll. And she can enlarge or shrink, and she usually likes to shrink. So she turns him into a cute little 
um, Boston Terrier sized shape. And Megan's finally coming too. This is Waxworks. Oh yeah, he's a big orange narrow thing with legs and strings for arms. He's very unique looking. This is Waxworks. The mirrors touch and the body loses all firmness. And poor Megan just pretty much turns into silly putty. And Brian's like, Megan! So decent a man. So easily, fatally distracted. By concern for those he cares about, a monetary thing that scattered brain turns into an eternity. As her caress fires all his neural synapses at once. And then Kurt's trying to get away from a werewolf. And then he tosses um, the one he was fighting into the ringmaster gal, who then falls into Waxworks. And Rachel is able to break out of the chains. Oh yeah, and Kurt's thinking to himself, like, yeah, the technics are beating us because they're working as a team and we're not doing that. And so then he starts, you know, teamwork. So he helps the people he knows. So he gets Rachel free, who then takes out Joy Boy, who then Kitty shrinks back to her regular size. Um, Kurt um, drop kicks China Doll into Gatecrasher, who shrinks down just a little bit. Um, slightly taller than Kitty, who then Kitty's like... Um, I'm just going to take all my concentration to stay solid. Body will hurt tomorrow from the strain, but boy, is this worth it. And then just knocks out Gatecrasher. Gatecrasher. And then the lizard teleports everyone away. Uh, gone as well, preferring discretion, the better part of Valor, to lick wounds, mourn lost comrades, gain strength, and plan for another chase, a happier day. And so Kurt checks on Kitty. Uh, Rachel walks over to that store. Brian and Megan hug and kiss. Uh, Kitty or Rachel notices the Excalibur sword, starts having an idea. Uh, Kitty's happy to see Rachel's back. We get a great panel of the three X Men um, hugging and crying. Kurt doesn't look like he's crying, but he's pretty happy. Another night, after the mess in London has been tidied up and explanations made to the appropriate authorities, atop the Scots Highland. And they're all having a little barbecue, which is fun. Um, Kurt's making, like, toasting a marshmallow. Oh yeah, and they're all sharing stories. Oh yeah, so Professor Xavier spends weeks programming the danger room for my trial session. Which is an issue uh, 141. And I walk through it untouched with my eyes closed. And everyone laughs. And then Kurt tells a story about how Logan dared him to walk down the street of Salem Center without his image inducer. Kitty's like, oh, Nightcrawler, I'd give anything to have seen that. He's like, your turn, Rachel. Any memories of the X-Men you care to share? Rachel shares how like she can't trust any of her memories anymore with the Phoenix Force or her time hop. She's not certain of anything anymore, but she knows who she is and how she feels. So she's um and she's okay with that. 
And then Brian's like, okay, well, I think it's time for us to go. And Richard's like, wait, wait, wait. Don't you guys want to hang out more? And they're like, why would we hang out more? And then uh, Rachel gives the uh, mission statement. Or is she like, the dream, Captain? Charles Xavier's dream of a world where all Earth's children, mutants and otherwise, live together in peace and harmony. Where people are judged for who they are, not what they look like or how they're born. That's why he created the X-Men to input. Exemplify that dream. Are you saying simply because the X-Men are dead we're supposed to give it up? Kitty says, The dream we had, Nightcrawler. Do you remember back before the crazy caper began? In it, Rachel said to me, When the reality no longer exists, exploiters can take the legend and make it wherever they want, good or bad. So, Kurt's like, So you want us to become a team? And Rachel, this is the filmsiest, um, compare or uh connecting connecting tissues like nobody can do that but king arthur had a dream too and using the phoenix force she creates a giant king arthur in the sky of a world where might served right instead of subjecting it his knights of the round table were the agents of that dream and his sword excalibur the symbol of it he died the table was destroyed and then we see the excalibur in the air his knights mostly slain, yet the dream survived. They became legend, and the sword that means of keeping the legend alive and vital through the ages. And then it becomes a giant phoenix force. And she has phoenix um, text for this too. The X-Men thought enough for Professor Xavier's dream to offer up their lives. It is so much to ask that we fight to preserve it. The sword Excalibur present, presented hope. It was light in the darkness of fear and ignorance of hate. And then this is dark again, so it's her regular speech. Do we want, have we the right to snuff it out? And Kurt's like, myself, I stand for truth, and I stand by you. And then Megan's like, Rachel's life sounds much like mine, Brian. I won't have anyone else endure such horror. I like this dream. It's worth fighting for. So Rachel's in the middle. To her right is Kurt holding his hand out to Kitty. And to her left is Megan holding out her arms for Brian. And of course, um, well, let's end this the other way. Oh, no, no, no. So Kitty and the great splash final page with Phoenix Force and the foursome. No, I'm sorry, the fivesome. And Kitty's like, what the heck? Count me in. And Brian says, with all my heart. And it's Kitty, Kurt, Rachel, Megan, and Captain Britain. And so, with laughter and transcendent joy, the dream is reconsiderated and Excalibur, that most ancient and noble blade, once more redrawn. The beginning. And this comic had no ads in it at all, so it's just an amazing one shot. So, for 325, no ads. I'm sure it's 48 pages. Oh, yep, yep, exactly 48 pages. And the back cover is just Widget, which we don't really know who that is at this point. So, a slight tease for things to come. And so, everyone, that is Excalibur Special Edition number one. There will be no Special Edition two. Everything else will have its own proper one-shot title, like Mojo Mayhem or Weird War 3 or Annuals 1 and 2. Um, so, Paul... Neary, miss you. We've 
lost Dan Green and now Paul Neary, so two legendary inkers. Makes you really want to appreciate all of our living legends and to honor our fallen legends even more so. Um, it's just, you know, sad we're losing our creators. I know there's times where I think, well, I remember thinking about, you know, like if Stan Lee ever passed, I will want to take that day off. I went to work and I'm pretty sure I spent most of the day just on Twitter just being like, you know, hey, everyone. Um, but I do think about, like, what happens when Chris Claremont passes away? Because I want to say he's in his 80s now. So it's like, hopefully, but you, like he's writing that Wolverine miniseries right now that's a sequel to his Captain America Black Widow Wolverine comic that Jim Lee did. Um, is it called Matterport Knights? I don't know. Uh, Psylocke and Jubilee were in it, so that was cool. Um, you know, and then if Paul Smith passed away, I'm going to be a total wreck. And Tom Chorowski, Glennis Oliver, they're still with us. Bob Wildkick is still with us. So my favorite um, X-Men creator team is still intact. But yeah, like, you know, our 80s, 70s creators, I mean, they're now in their 70s and 80s. So it's like, how crazy is that? And it makes you realize how young they were when they were making these comics. So, I don't know. It reminds me of someone on Twitter who reached out and was like, hey, I know you're super young. And so I forget who the creator was, but they reached out and was like, hey, I just want you to know with the passing of this artist, I just want you to know that I love your work and you're one of my favorites. And, and they wrote a nice thing like, hey, I'm in good shape, so no worries for me. But yes, I appreciate you reaching out. I was like, well, yeah, that's probably the best way. And how awkward must that be? Like, hey, in case you pass, I want you to know I like you. And it's like, yo, like this is awkward, but yes. Um. Uh, so that was that issue. Um, I'm not gonna do an issue for Fall of the House of X two. Uh, Kate is in Paris to help out Scott, but um, Doctor Gregor catches up to him first and wants to tell him about Sentinel City because she finally realizes that um. Clearly, well, Scott's comment about, like, what's going to happen once you kill all the mutants to um, Omega Sentinel. And Gregor finally realizes, um, oh, yeah, they're just going to kill the humans next. So either Kate's going to catch up and the three of them go to Sentinel City, or most likely Kate's just going to be in Paris and Scott and Gregor are going to be just elsewhere. Um, Spider-Gwen Smash 3 was pretty fun. It continues the stalker angle. We get confirmation who the stalker is. Um, only Dazzler and Pixie was there. I did not see Lila Chaining. But it was a great comic, but I didn't count in my top 10 best comics of 2024. Is I feel like, unless you're an official X title, like, you gotta have at least three X-Men in your book. Um, but a great Dazzler lyrics, that was fun to read. Um, and then we're like two weeks away from X-Men Volume 6, Issue 31, where Kate catches up with Magic and Lockheed. Um, and I'm super excited about that. And I'm going to be hopefully not obnoxious, but just going to be a giant fan of that issue. And then... Um, 
And it's uh, Madame Webb's out this weekend. I'm going to see if my wife will let us go. Um, but if not this weekend, maybe next weekend. But I do still have one more Spider-Woman related comic um, to review. I chose to do this one instead because, you know, Paul Neary passed away and we should honor him. And we can do Spider um, that Spider-Woman comic at any time. Plus, it's the wrong Spider-Woman. But it's one of my favorite issues. So, um, that should be out. If we don't do Madame Web this weekend, then I guess the Sunday episode will be the Spider-Woman um, appearance. Which I'm being vague for, I guess, in hopes that you come back for it. But thank you, everyone, for listening and supporting the podcast and reaching out and saying such kind words. Really appreciate it. And um, follow the podcast at SNFWM on Twitter and Instagram. I want to post those images of Lockheed um, <clears throat> once this episode goes up. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at JackalSII. Um, also, that name on YouTube where I'm doing the tournaments i also did a pop a marvel funko pop valentine's day special and i'm planning on doing a deadpool 3 video as well as a um oh right so deadpool 3 trailer came out it was amazing um we saw patch which and i try to get some jokes made about who they're going to cast for Patch. Um, the AT, no, the TVA uh, got Deadpool, which is an amazing setup. That someone mentioned how, like, by the time De- Deadpool Two was being finalized, the Disney purchase of Fox was happening, so they clearly were setting this up for Loki. Which I want to say Loki wasn't even out yet. The TV series, that is. But um, I could be wrong about the timing of it all. But what great planning of that, though. It just sinks in perfectly. Um, there's a bunch of desert scenes where you see the 20th Century Fox um, logo in the background. So that's fun. Uh, Pyro's there. So trying to manage my expectations of how many X-Men are going to show up. If James Marsden shows up, that would be amazing. Which I should watch Interstate 66 again. Cause, or Interstate 60. Because I love that movie. Um, and just all X-Men characters would be amazing. And uncanny. And astonishing. Extraordinary. Remember that title? Probably shouldn't bring that one up. Almost freaked out. I wonder if that's going to be picked up. But it was like a water hose just got launched or something where it's like what was that or water anyways you probably did not pick it up and so i'm just freaking about nothing um oh, i was doing a bunch of silly things about deadpool oh yeah and then it ends with wolverine popping his claws and then like you see him for that half second so it should be the spectacular and then today we got x-men 97 the first trailer march 20th if they do one episode a week, I am going to cover each episode. Um, just should be fun. If I can, I'll get Walker D to help with that. Uh, but um, if not, 
It would just be solo me. But I, I, it's been a while since Walker D's been on the podcast, and I've been missing him and his voice in the chit-chat we do. But, um, so those are future plans. Um, Saturday, we I will launch the next round of XAX. It should, it will be uh, Miss Marvel versus Black Panther. I already got some ideas of what I want to have shown, so excited about making that video and the other videos um so yeah so keep track of the youtube channel uh, i've got some content coming your way and once again just once again thank you everyone for listening it really means the world of me that there are listeners and dedicated listeners and i know combo Crew's legacy makes jokes about their three listeners but i'm like i really appreciate my listenership and and they definitely have a lot more listeners. So I'm like, oh, one day I want to make jokes about three listeners and have it not have a tinge of like, oh, you know. But thank you, everyone. Um, if you ask a friend to listen, that uh, that would be great as we try to um, get more, um, I was about to say views up, but downloads up and listenership and just interactions. So... I stalled long enough. So thank you again, everyone, and I'll talk to you next time. Bye.